Hello, it's Nim, and you're listening to A Spoonful of Medicine, topping up your paediatric knowledge one spoonful at a time. Today, we're talking about autosomal recessive polycystic kidney disease, or ARPKD, previously known as infantile polycystic kidney disease. This is part two of a two-part series looking at polycystic kidney disease in kids. Now, this recessive form is characterized by cystic dilations of the renal collecting ducts, developmental defects in the hepatobiliary ductal plates, as well as pulmonary hypoplasia. So join me today as we learn all about autosomal recessive polycystic kidney disease in children. ARPKD or autosomal recessive PKD, belongs to a group of congenital hepatorenal fibrocystic syndromes and is a cause of significant renal and liver-related morbidity and mortality in children. ARPKD is uncommon comparatively to its autosomal dominant counterpart, and I'm talking about 20-fold less common than ADPKD. The incidence of autosomal recessive PKD is about 1 in 20,000 live births, And if we remember, the prevalence of autosomal dominant PKD is about 1 in 400 to 1 in 1,000. In terms of ARPKD, about a third of cases present before the age of one year. A further third present between 1 to 20 years of age. And the last third present above 20 years of age. So, all of us who deal with children are likely to see two-thirds of cases present in the age group that we deal with. Genetically speaking, most cases of ARPKD are caused by variants in the PKHD1 gene, which is located on chromosome 6. This gene encodes fibrocystin, also referred to as polyductin, which is a large integral membrane protein. There are more than 750 reported PKHD1 variants, but the most common, which is a missense variant, accounts for about 20% of all cases. Interestingly, most patients with ARPKD are compound heterozygotes, which means that they carry two different mutant alleles. Now, we don't know the full function of fibrocystin, but we do know where it is found, and this links to the clinical manifestations of ARPKD. Fibrocystin is found in the cortical and medullary collecting ducts and the thick ascending limb of the nephrons in the kidney. It's also found in epithelial cells in the hepatic bile duct, and as well, it is expressed in the liver, pancreas, and lungs. So, top tip number one. When thinking about ARPKD, think kidneys, liver, lungs. So, this fibrocystin that is found in the kidney, liver, and lungs is more specifically on a cellular level found in the primary cilia. And this suggests that defects in fibrocystin disrupt normal functioning of cilia, and this points towards the pathogenesis of how cysts may form in this condition. Speaking of cysts, the cysts that are seen in ARPKD are different to those seen in autosomal dominant PKD. In ARPKD, the cysts are themselves less than 2mm big and are usually fusiform dilations, mainly of the collecting ducts, which radiate from the medulla into the cortex. The cystic kidneys themselves actually retain their reniform shape, but are large. 
this contrasts with autosomal dominant PKD, where the cystic dilations are quite big. These cysts are macrocysts, above a centimeter large. They're irregularly distributed, and the kidneys themselves are large, bulky, and look like they have big bubbles of various sizes in them. Okay, back to the cysts in ARPKD. Later on in the disease, the kidneys can get bigger and the cysts themselves can grow up to one centimeter in size and there's interstitial fibrosis that develops. This fibrosis contributes to the progressive deterioration of renal function that is seen in kids with ARPKD. In terms of other organ manifestations, a really important one to know about is hepatic findings. ARPKD is always associated with biliary dysgenesis due to the persistence of embryonic bile duct structures which may become massively dilated. This leads to various degrees of dilation of the intrahepatic bile ducts and hepatic fibrosis. On histology, you see disruption of the ductal plates as well as portal fibrosis and the degree of liver involvement varies, but over time, hepatomegaly and portal hypertension develop in most patients. Okay, that was a lot of pathology. So let's get on to the clinical stuff. In terms of the age of presentation, ARPKD typically is diagnosed in infancy or even in utero, where severe kidney disease is related to a poor survival rate. Patients that present in childhood, adolescence, or even as adult typically have symptoms related to congenital hepatic fibrosis. Think hepatomegaly and portal hypertension. They have less severe kidney disease compared to those diagnosed in infancy. So really, we can break down the presentation of ARPKD into the prenatal presentation, a neonatal presentation, and then the presentation in childhood and adolescence. Prenatally, ARPKD can be detected by routine antenatal ultrasound after 24 weeks gestation. However, a normal antenatal ultrasound doesn't conclusively exclude the diagnosis of ARPKD. A presumptive diagnosis is based on the characteristic findings of markedly enlarged echogenic kidneys with poor corticomedullary differentiation. In some cases, there may be discrete cysts that are small, and these findings may be accompanied by oligohydramnios and the absence of urine in the fetal bladder, because this is how amniotic fluid is made, through the kidneys. And if they're not functioning well, you're not going to get much amniotic fluid, and there's not going to be much fluid in the fetal bladder. The neonatal presentation of ARPKD varies depending on the severity of kidney disease, but it includes respiratory distress, impaired kidney function, and in more severe cases, even Potter's sequence. About 50% of neonates with ARPKD have respiratory distress, which is primarily due to pulmonary hypoplasia. These patients are often diagnosed antenatally, and oligohydramnios is a very common finding. Another factor that doesn't really help with their respiratory function is the fact that the diaphragm movement is limited because they have big bulky kidneys and that leads to hypoventilation and ineffective respirations in the neonate. In terms of neonatal renal manifestations, these babies have markedly enlarged kidneys which may compress the lungs and contribute to pulmonary function impairment like we just mentioned. 
They can also impede on the stomach filling, so it can lead to difficulties in feeding. Kidney function impairment can also be reflected by increased plasma concentrations of creatinine and blood urea nitrogen. In more severe cases, neonates can even have end-stage kidney disease. These babies can also be hypertensive and hyponatremia during the first few weeks of life is not uncommon. Now the really severely affected neonates can have Potter sequence and this is due to severe oligohydramnios and the flow on effects of that. These babies have positional limb deformities like club feet and hip dislocations. They have typical facial appearances with recessed chins, posteriorly rotated flattened ears and a flattened nose, as well as pulmonary hypoplasia. For the babies that survived the first few years of life, there is improvement in kidney function initially for two to three years, but this is followed by a progressive decline of kidney function, which may result in end-stage renal disease. Children and adolescents with ARPKD have renal concentrating defects, and this can present as polyuria and polydipsia. Hypertension develops during the first few months of life, and it is often very hard to control. These children may need multiple agents to adequately control their blood pressure and inadequately controlled hypertension can lead to cardiac hypertrophy, cardiac failure, CNS complications and may in turn also contribute to renal function decline. Liver manifestations can be present at birth but can also arise anytime between birth and adulthood. These manifestations include hepatomegaly, portal hypertension and the subsequent hypersplenism and thrombocytopenia, ascites and esophageal varices, as well as an increased risk for acute bacterial cholangitis. Some children may even have non-obstructed dilation of the intrahepatic bile ducts, otherwise known as Corolli syndrome. So we can see that regardless of the age of presentation, ARPKD is a challenging condition and it has multiple manifestations and implications on many organ systems for the child. Once we have a child that is suspected to have ARPKD, how do we go about diagnosing them? Well, the diagnosis of ARPKD is typically made by an abdominal ultrasound that demonstrates both the characteristic findings of large echogenic kidneys with poor corticomedullary differentiation and coexisting liver disease. In cases in which the diagnosis is uncertain, other imaging modalities such as MRIs may be done or even genetic testing may be sought after. Kidney biopsies are not needed to make the diagnosis of ARPKD. And in terms of genetic testing, it's only done when the diagnosis is uncertain and is guided by specialist teams. In terms of managing ARPKD, there's unfortunately no known curative intervention that will heal the native kidneys, and genetic counselling is needed for families. Prenatally, once a presumptive diagnosis of ARPKD is made, ultrasound imaging is done frequently to monitor kidney size as well as amniotic fluid volume. Delivery of these neonates should be performed at a centre that provides neonatal ICU care and including mechanical ventilation as well as kidney replacement therapy, i.e. dialysis. 
the neonatal management initially focuses on stabilizing the respiratory status of patients with respiratory distress at birth, followed by a clinical assessment confirming the diagnosis and then a thorough evaluation of the kidneys of the neonate as well as their liver and lungs. One needs to assess their blood pressure, renal function, get blood tests like Chem 20, as well as ultrasound of the kidney to get an idea of what they look like. Management of hypertension is very important, with ACE inhibitors being first line. It is also really important to manage the hyponatremia with things like fluid restriction and also address feeding issues in the baby. For neonates with end-stage renal disease, dialysis is often the only option. And starting dialysis within the first month of life is associated with significant morbidity and mortality. In older children with ARPKD, progressive decline in GFR usually occurs after the first three years of life when kidney function improves with normal kidney development. However, after this so-called golden period, ongoing cyst formation and the development of interstitial fibrosis results in decreased renal function and approximately half of patients with ARPKD will need dialysis for end-stage renal disease during childhood. In children with ARPKD, the focus is on care of the kidney and hepatic complications, monitoring blood pressure, kidney function, liver function, as well as signs of portal hypertension and the complications of portal hypertension is very important. Similarly, growth and nutrition should be heavily addressed and optimized. Kidney replacement therapy is needed in patients who progress to end-stage renal disease. Kidney transplantation is the preferred kidney replacement therapy because there is no disease recurrence and the outcome is excellent. Nephrectomy may sometimes be needed to actually accommodate the placement of the new grafted kidney because the old kidneys can be so bulky. In addition, the removal of the native kidneys may help blood pressure control in the post-transplantation period. Other kidney replacement options include hemodialysis and peritoneal dialysis. Kidney replacement therapy really improves the survival for kids with ARPKD and end-stage renal disease. And as the lifespan of these patients is extended, they are more likely to develop complications related to the congenital hepatic fibrosis, such as portal hypertension. Although combined liver and kidney transplantation may be an option in some children with things like severe Corolli disease, a large European observational study reported that combined liver and kidney transplantation in these children was associated with increased mortality compared with kidney transplantation alone, and that it was not associated with any improvement in a five-year kidney transplant survival. Finally, genetic counselling for parents and families of a child with ARPKD is very important. Parents should be informed that each child or new fetus has a 1 in 4 risk of developing the disease. Because remember, this is an autosomal recessive condition. There is a 1 in 2 risk of a child being a carrier and the risk of end-stage renal disease and the need for kidney replacement therapy is greatest for those with prenatal and perinatal evidence of renal disease. The ultimate prognosis of children with ARPKD really depends on the degree of kidney and hepatic involvement, 
which is most often reflected by the age of presentation. The mortality rate is greatest for patients who present as neonates, with severe kidney disease associated with pulmonary insufficiency, with reported rates of up to 30% mortality. If you survive the first month of life, you have a greater than 80% chance of surviving beyond 15 years of age. Furthermore, improved management of kidney insufficiency and end-stage renal disease has resulted in a greater number of patients living longer. But remember, living longer means that more patients are alive long enough to develop significant liver disease in the form of portal hypertension and all the complications that are associated with that pathology. Okay, let's recap. Autosomal recessive PKD, previously called infantile PKD, is a recessively inherited disorder characterized by cystic dilatations of the kidney renal collecting ducts and developmental defects of the hepatobiliary ductal plate and remodeling that results in varying degrees of congenital hepatic fibrosis and progressive renal decline. Fortunately, it is uncommon, with an estimated incidence of about 1 in 20,000 live births. From a pathology point of view, ARPKD is primarily caused by variants in the PKHD1 gene that encodes fibrocystin. Specifically, fibrocystin works in the primary cilia. These fibrocystin-related cilia are found in the kidneys, lungs, and liver, And these three organ systems are what are primarily affected by ARPKD. The clinical manifestations of ARPKD vary with age of presentation. Prenatally, in severe cases, ARPKD can be detected on antenatal ultrasound, characterized by markedly enlarged kidneys as well as oligohydramnios. Neonatally, patients can present with massively enlarged kidneys, and half of patients that are diagnosed as neonates will have respiratory distress due to pulmonary hypoplasia. Older patients who survive into infancy and childhood typically have less severe renal disease and more liver involvement, resulting in portal hypertension and an increased risk of cholangitis as well as hypersplenism. Nevertheless, the majority of patients will have progressive deterioration of their kidney function, and a significant number of patients will proceed to end-stage kidney disease and require kidney replacement therapy. Diagnosis of ARPKD is made by an abdominal ultrasound that demonstrates both characteristic findings in the kidneys as well as liver. Biopsy as well as molecular genetic testing is not needed in all cases. ARPKD has no known curative intervention and the management mainly is supportive, including the management of respiratory distress in neonates and kidney replacement therapy for patients who have progressive renal function decline. The ultimate prognosis of someone with ARPKD is heavily dependent on the degree of kidney and hepatic involvement, which is often reflected by the age of presentation. With the mortality rate, being greatest for patients who present as neonates with severe kidney disease and pulmonary hypoplasia. And that's been this week's episode of A Spoonful of Medicine. Thank you so much for joining us. If you like what you heard, please subscribe and tell a friend. For the visual learners of us out there, head over to our Instagram page, 
at spoonful.of.medicine for a quick summary of today's episode, along with some other great educational content. If you'd like to get in touch, have a suggestion for a future episode, or have heard something that you think needs a correction, please email us on spoonfulofmedicinepodcast at gmail.com. It's been a pleasure topping up your paediatric knowledge one spoonful at a time. I can't wait for you to join us on our next episode. But until then, bye.